Welcome everybody to our second episode of the second episode of Strange New World. No, that was terrible. I'm starting that again. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's not as fluid as Timelines Talk, so I haven't, I haven't got a script for this yet. All right. Okay, welcome everyone to the review of the second episode of Strange New Worlds, Children of the Comets. We have literally just come off the back of watching it, and I am really excited because that was a classic episode. I'm guys, just off off the cuff, off the sort of top of your dome. How did you feel about this episode? Uh, well, I I didn't get to share my thoughts on the the first episode, but uh, I liked this one even more than the first i think mm. and i enjoyed the first one quite a bit too uh it just yeah it it feels very classic and uh i was talking to you before about uh when trek hits me right it just kind of feels like a warm blanket and it's it's giving me some of those <laughs> warm blanket kind of vibes which which is nice so yeah i'm i'm in yeah, I, I think that's like Strange New Worlds' strength is that it feels very classic, but it doesn't feel outdated. It doesn't feel like it's clinging to old tropes. I think it has enough new ideas to sustain itself. Like whether or not you think some of those new ideas are good is you know, mm. that's a, your mileage may vary because there has been, especially with Spock and something like that. You can criticize that, but I think especially with this episode, I'm I, I feel confident in saying this is this pretty much hits all the right notes which is appropriate given the theming of the episode um it just it, it we say it's like it's a classic episode and i don't just mean that in terms of you know it, it harkens back to old episodes of you know first contact and you know unique alien languages it i don't i almost don't want to say it because it sounds a little bit too like you know like self congratulatory but <laughs> the this and the first episode feel like almost instant classics like i feel like I have rewatched yeah, yeah. these more yeah. than I've watched like the other ones, and I feel like I have the same feeling I had when I watched um, Discovery's Time Loop episode in season one. I was like, "This is an episode yeah, I'm going to yeah. come back and rewatch again and again and again." Yeah, and with, with Discovery, like, that uh, yeah, oh, it's one well, like uh, like New Eden from season two mm. of Discovery. Mm -hmm. It's like that had that same kind of feeling to it. So yeah, That's yeah, and train. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a good point, because it's like, with Discovery, you get that maybe once or twice of the, every season, it's like, that's fine, because it's a serialized story that makes sense, but so far, we're batting two for two, um, and if they can keep up the string of every episode feeling like an instant classic, then I think what Idol said about the first episode is, on we might be on par for the best first season of a Trek <laughs> show ever, which I'm all for, guess what, uh, if we can keep on raising the bar, I'm down for that. Guess what? Some of us Star Trek fans like Star Trek. Who, who'd have thunk it? Um, <laughs> no, say it as I say. Um, just as a, another aside, I think this episode does continue something which I've noticed in the first episodes. They're doing a lot more... They're, they're not treating the audience like idiots. There's a lot more show-don't-tell. There are little throwaway lines like Ortigas... Like, you, like we previously said, Ortigas flying through the asteroid belt and you're just seeing little pings off. There's like one line to say, this is what we're going to do. They're not spending half an hour sort of talking over the different you know different plans they literally is just using that nice sense of direction and um sort of at one point i want to sort of just leave ahead in the episode when uhura's kind of approaching being on an away team for the on an away mission for the first time and you have this amazing camera shots these amazing sort of like focuses on her face 
the way that the rest of the away team separates itself from her, leaves her alone, where she's about to beam on. She's like, you really feel like she is isolated without having to spend five minutes of her and another person. To, not that I'm saying this is what the, the series do. I'm talking ten television as a whole, especially some of the CW shows. You would have a 10-minute series, a 10-minute scene somewhere where they're talking about, these are my insecurities and this is what's going to happen. But no, they, they do all that through the camera work and all that through just explicit and i think this episode's another great idea way of doing that and i'm glad they do because this it's it doesn't treat me like an idiot i love it yeah yeah there's a good sort of flow to this cast already there it, and I, i've seen it remarked on before and i, I do kind of see where the criticism comes from where the discovery cast for example they don't feel like professionals they feel like maybe too familiar with each other or maybe too neurotic um and i think that's maybe maybe not inaccurate but it definitely does feel like the strange new worlds cast these this is a well-oiled machine this is like season four or season five tng era level yeah. of competence where everyone knows what they're good at and they just throw out a suggestion okay let's roll with that how do we make it work type thing and it's like it's just nice to see that flow and that competence and that professionalism and discovery takes it in a different direction it, it goes with more sort of like um more volatility more neuroticism more out of the box thing but that's what it's doing and yeah i think it does that well uh, other people would disagree but i think strange new worlds is parking itself very much in that classic territory of this is a team of professionals working in a professional context and doing it well yeah I think and that... then there's lieutenant kirk uh saying i'm gonna go touch that egg <laughs> <laughs> yes I think just touching back though, yeah, no, I think it's, it's different strokes for different folks. You know, as someone that really enjoys Discovery, I think yeah, they do, they do admittedly focus on the more personal stuff. But again, like this is this is, I'm glad that someone has. It's not necessarily just listen to what fans want because obviously the everyone knows the vocal minority of fans are that they are the the, the minority, and obviously uh, sales execs aren't going to look and go, well, why should we pander to these sixty to seventy people who are shouting on Twitter? But they have done that, but they've also created a great tv show under that guise as well and not to say that that's the reason they did it but i think they're sort of honing your craft and making a good tv show is something that everyone evolves to no matter how long you've been into the business and finding that niche spot where things just work takes time and takes development i think we're here now and it's it's mm, yes <laughs> well i think there's something to be there's something to be said for the fact that the whole reason that strange new worlds exists is kind of from fan no, support yeah you're right yeah just from the get-go so i think maybe there's a sense of we want to reward that kind of support and thinking and make a story that that fits the expectations of that and you know there's there's always something to be said for subverting expectations when it's appropriate but there's also something to be said for just giving people what they want and i think two episodes in we're pretty much just getting what we want and it is as satisfying as we not, thought it would be yeah but not just as star trek fans as television fans like as people that like want to yeah. sit down and watch a good hour's worth of entertainment without thinking eh, uh, uh. No, no this is this is good can we uh dissuade and actually talk about the episode a second um yes can the whole scene with pike the chef roasting up his big ribs of flintstones meat uh for the sake of his crew was just a great way to open the episode and uh, 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 getting her hazing you know in the dress uniform felt a really nice moment look if you come to the captain's table you best be fucking hungry um <laughs> I, I again i, I like oh, this oh like, i was hungry <laughs> yeah no, look at some of that it's a good spread he's got going on there mm -hmm. um 
I, I do appreciate that, like, like Big said, when Star Trek and especially like when Starfleet is done in a certain way, it feels like a warm blanket. And despite the fact that Uhura was kind of being hazed, there was no animosity here. It was all very much a, look, you're being invited to the cast table. There's no actual pressure here. We're doing a tiny bit of teasing. Everyone is all smiles. There is no animosity here. Like the worst you're getting is Hemmer being a dick because that's what <laughs> Hemmer's like. But he immediately does that and he says, "Oh, I like her." And it's like, "Well, yeah, of course you do." Because this is like the Starfleet is a, a group of like-minded individuals. Even if Uhura doesn't quite feel like she's part of that yet, she is eminently welcome. Hmm. Yeah, and it's like even though Uhura feels other than you, like you said, like it comes through in the cinematography, like. It's the case of the others aren't othering her. Well, maybe Lan is. Lan is a little bit yeah. antagonistic toward her, but Lan's othering still... everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, we we kind of it's interesting that we got her as kind of like a perspective character in the first episode because otherwise she'd come across as a real asshole in this episode <laughs> if we didn't have that insight into why she takes Starfleet so seriously. Like, yeah. um, I, I feel like they were very careful to make her the first you know, viewpoint character where episode one is kind of a Lan episode because otherwise her role mm. in this episode, she'd come across as a real asshole. Mm. <laughs> yeah, she, she, and again, it's another part of the show, Don't Tell, when she's on the the egg, you know, when they're on the, when they're on the sorry, the asteroid and they're looking at the egg and like Uhura's like wavering and she's wondering for confident. You just get some dirty looks from Lan. And whereas that would have like in other TV shows may have been like a conversation. You you, you know exactly what Lan's thinking. You know what she's thinking, why she's thinking it. You don't need to explain it. She's just there going, the fuck, this cadet's in charge of us. Oh shit, I am not singing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and is there's the additional subtext of that is that it's like this this cadet is going to be responsible for us living or dying. And she didn't even know if she wanted to be here. Yes, a, mm. like three hours ago. Uh, so what have I gotten myself into, and what what's going to happen from here? That's like the whole. That's what that face is saying, and it just it's just said with the face. She's never, you know, uh, you no know, dresses her down or anything. It's like. Mm cadet do you know if you want to be here or something yeah. like that you know none of that it's just yeah like, oh. that that kind of separates her from the leland t lynch's or the whatever his name was from arsenal of freedoms where <laughs> they come up onto the bridge and tell joy to fuck off the captain's chair it's like mm, she yeah. just says every now and then it's like how, how are we doing on the dying or not scale here <laughs> and she's like mm. yeah. and it's like it's it's more of a, a kind of an outlet than just being outright antagonistic like you you already have an outright antagonist in the form of the shepherds um you don't really need that from yeah. one as well she still feels like she is working as part of the whole yep definitely um i've just shout out the amazing makeup on the people in the desert i forget the planet's name apologies but um for a deneb. one den oh, was it deneb the, the the people were called the deleb um, oh, the the planet's called Persephone Three. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yes. Um. But yes, yeah. the makeup on them absolutely for, for a one-minute shot. There was some detail on that. That was that was an alien race. I kind of want to see more of because I was like, I want that. Yeah. That's a really nice Trek design. That's that's really cool. And you know, the eye makeup especially. Yeah, you'll know. <laughs> no, it's fine. There'll there'll be an antagonist in a Star Trek Online plot in about five years. <laughs> <Yes>. Um. <laughs> um. I also Which, the, the, t talking about things that you're uh, see. How many uh, Enterprise bingo cards are out there in the universe now because of just that scene where they're talking about what is it, cadet bingo? What, yeah. what did they say? Enterprise bingo, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm wondering what is is like is it? Do you see like someone with their pants off 
because of like a transporter accident <laughs> like is it uh, someone's been evaporated phased halfway through a deck plate because of some kind of weird phenomenon is that on the bingo card maybe that's just the end of <laughs> the bingo just card randomly beam two red shirts into space and then they never come back to it mm. <laughs> um, maybe that was taken I off also, later <laughs> maybe maybe just happened one too many um, times I also find it um, interesting, and uh, the, uh, two episodes in, we've had two opens on an alien perspective. Like, both on um, Kylie and on Persephone, you start with the alien perspective. They are very much a case of, here is the alien perspective on what is happening. Here is the, our first contact of this comet. And then we pull out to the Starfleet thing, and it's very much a case of, here are the strange new worlds. Here's them. Um, even yes. if it's just for a minute, it helps immerse it and make it feel more alien to have it a start from their perspective. Yeah, definitely yeah, sort of it, reinforcing it, the, the titles, you know, the show title's name, which is great. This isn't just Discovery, for all for how much we like it, isn't really about a lot of Discovery. Hmm. It's about self-discovery is what it's meant to be about. It's not so much about alien discovery, which is pro probably why people don't like it as much, because it feels more hmm. like, it feels like false advertising when it's actually just a case of it. It's a, a parallel thing, but yeah. We're talking a lot about discovery here. Yeah. Um <laughs> Well it's well, it's hard to not talk about a modern Star Trek series, a current Star Trek right. series without talking about Discovery, because Discovery kind of set the tone for all of this. And mm. you you kind of have to talk about how things are different in this series than they are in other things, because I you know Discovery and Picard both kind of feel of a piece even though it's like one is definitely supposed to be directly referencing with legacy characters mm. a previously existing thing i don't know it just has that same kind of feeling to it or at least it's like because i'm on record i've only seen about one and a third series uh seasons of discovery uh but you know just it, it felt a lot like picard but the, this does it does feel different i mean the the effects work the the design it does feel fairly similar but just in the the style and the pacing hmm. and definitely in the episode construction this feels like its own thing and i mm. am really appreciative of it well because we were talking before about uh you know how you know the warm blanket and the idea that you have to know everything about the episodes to enjoy any of it it's like when i i watched the first episode and then um got with my my wife and was like hey let's 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 watch this as a family now because if we can watch something as a family together mm -hmm. we do and this felt like something that i could and she's like i don't know because we tried to get into discovery mm -hmm. and it just didn't really happen the same way and she's like i don't know if i've got the mental energy to invest to, to be yeah. in and on top of everything i and think that like, is you, a problem with you don't have to be yeah i think that's a problem in general serialized shows and if you're trying to watch it in that kind of environment where everyone needs to kind of be alert, like serialized shows are great by you know one or two people wanting to binge something that's that's a fine proposition but like you say you're trying to watch something as a family you want something that's a little bit easier digestible and i think that's maybe why they they came to this um can we yeah. quickly move on to celia because this is the first uh uhura episode uh can we talk about celia gooding's amazing version of uhura because she she nails this like and we were talking yeah. before this about her versus zoe saldana like all credit to zoe saldana amazing actress but this is the uhura we want really because yeah 
So but... I think part of the problem I have with Zoe Saldana's inter and it's not really a problem with her as an actress. She's an eminently talented actress. I really enjoy her in Guardians of the Galaxy and some various other roles she's been in. Um part of the problem with that version of Ahura is that she in some ways, and in my purpose anyway, is kind of designed to be first and foremost a romantic foil for Spock and yeah. also a don't worry, Kirk and Spock aren't gay. Because <laughs> we have to make this <laughs> Guess what? There's a reason why Kirk and Spock are significantly less gay in the in the in the uh, Kelvinverse thing. And it's like I, I see that as a shorthand for they are less emotionally intimate with each other as they are compared to okay. TOS, especially in the movies. Um, and I feel like that in a way hinders her as development. Even though she is arguably propelled to be part of the trio instead of McCoy, she doesn't really get as much development. Hmm. Whereas here. She gets more development in this, what, 45, 50 minute span than she did in any of TOS, in any of the movies, that, that, like um, 09 or TOS. There is so much of her character and of her personality that I feel like I am intimately acquainted with her. Yeah. And I want to know more about her and yeah, spend more yeah. time with her. Despite I've known her for 50 minutes, but I would, yeah. you know, it's that, that meme of, you know, I've only known her for 45 minutes, but I would <laughs> kill everyone in the room and then myself if anything would happen to yeah. her. I do want to protect her and see her grow because she's just such a, she has such an interest, interesting uh, trajectory to her. You learn more in the dinner scene mm. about Uhura as a character than you have in 50 plus years yeah. of Trek stories that have included Uhura. But it's not just that. Yeah. I mean, it's not just the sort of, you know, the knowledge bombs they drop on us. Like, uh, you know, Celia getting her, her acting, not just like, and it's similar to, and we'll get onto this, but Ethan Pecker Spock to her as Uhura. Like, it's not an exact take on the character because, well, to be fair with Uhura, there isn't actually much character there over the series but um she has that sassiness she has that questioning attitude she has the sort of almost sort of almost talking back but, but still being respectful as a cadet talking to spock um she and even to pike as well she's very open on up front and honest in a way that most yeah. cadets probably shouldn't be where tilly was probably embarrassed and sort of very sort of like um jittery yeah yeah jittery and sort of went inside herself and self you know self-examined everything she said uhura is just like no i'm 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 here this is what i say and that's yeah i like she's taken the bit of nichelle nichols interpretation especially more the movie uhura than tos uhura um i mean yeah. we have to remember this is before she got her mind wiped by nomad but let's pretend that didn't happen um <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but yeah this is this great is... things in your future kid exactly <laughs> um I, I yeah i love the characterization i love how she approaches the character of uhura in this and again it's it's the same way that, that ethan peck does it's in in sort of a almost, i would say tribute in a kind of passing resemblance to the characters they represent without outrightly trying to imitate them well plus it's just the the things that we learned uh the plot points you know the biography that we learned it all you take it all in because it jives with the character as you understand her plus it just gives depth to a character that is primarily a communications officer and you know will be a communications mm -hmm. officer as they grow and evolve so it's just it all tells an organic cohesive narrative of a character so it all just fits together it's like what did you learn in star trek 09 that informs what you have known of Ohura as a character. In fact, it teaches you exact stuff that makes no sense. 
compared to what you have known of Uhura up to that point. It's like, so you're telling a story that helps inform the character that you already know. That mm. is good world building. That is good character building. That's good storytelling. And it all just works. Mm. It just works. Yeah. And I feel like they also do a lot better of a job. And I'm, I'm going to compare it to Enterprise here because um, there's like two points of commonality here where I feel like they do a better job of justifying the role of a linguist and ex explaining how that comes across in a TV format. Because obviously, like, linguistics is incredible. This isn't a rival, right? We can't go into an in-depth description of how linguistics works. And goes like, but we can communicate how communications and alien language is so complex and you know, initially incomprehensible by relating it to music, which is an important thing for both Spock mm -hmm. and Uhura hearkening back to TOS. Again, taking the few bits of characterization that we do know and using that as a bonding point for them. That's like a really good way of doing it. Whereas like for, for Hoshi in Enterprise, it was basically a case of I'm going to tap on my thing. I'm going to make a few maybe like throat sounds and then I'm going to uh, work it out because Enterprise wasn't really interested in developing that aspect of her character. It was kind of interested in other bits and pieces, but linguists it didn't really understand what to do with it whereas this because it used like her as the viewpoint character and turned her into essentially the hero of the story it was way more interested in tackling first contact and alien communication in a way that felt oh yeah this has been done before you know, alien languages music that's been done i played a video game like last year that did the exact same kind of thing but yeah trek doing it in this way like tackling the tropes but doing them in a way that still felt fresh and allowed me to experience a character that has existed for 50 years but now i feel like i know them all over again yeah speaking of um, that, that kind of um well we'll skip ahead a little bit and talk about sort of like go expand on what you're talking about with the music especially and you know their music and this is sort of something me and big sort of like cottoned on to sort of you know as musicians and sort of when uhura you know, starts humming the melody and they talk, start talking about music as maths and how it all brings to a tunnel. I just sort of like went by every part of that and went, this is brilliant. Like, I love the yeah. the common thread of uh, any civilization is music because it makes the most mathematical sense. And again, yeah. they didn't play us as idiots. They didn't sit down and break everything down to a part. They just went, she's going to hum. He's going to hum along. Laan's just going to go, I ain't fucking singing. And <laughs> and they use the resonance to to to, to solve a, a major chord, which is one of the most. It's one of the first, um, one of the most primary things you learn about music is a major chord, or at least in the traditional yeah. tonal sense that we use in in Western media. Anyway, I mean, you could probably yeah. say that maybe alien cultures would use a different tonal variance, but uh, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, but if you really wanted to get down yeah. into the weeds, like uh, major uh, thirds, it's yeah. like major minor thirds, that kind of stuff was looked at as uh heretical and early church music but, and yeah. stuff like that and it, yeah so i mean <laughs> that's not necessarily uh the true across for things those, but i love for those cultures that I evolved love... with a at 440 hertz then yeah we're fine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just like i i love the explanation the the mm -hmm. way that they came to around the plot problem of that you always have to solve in science fiction of how can this alien culture come to the same answers that we are we have and are familiar with and are used to it's like well because music is mathematical it's like it is is very inherently. and math is what explains the universe in many ways so just tying those things together it's like yes you know a a pitch and then uh, a harmonic and it is you know you could get pythagorean about it 
if you wanted to. And just that explanation just totally jibes. And it just gave me that chill up my spine kind mm. of things like, yes, that is that is perfect. I love it. And it you know, just shows the amount of care and thought that has gone into just the first two stories that we've gotten so far. It, it reminds me of um, that commonality that um, the doctor found in Sevens. Like, you know, you, do you have any interest in music? It's like, mm. music has certain interesting mathematical properties. And it's like, I was thinking, why, why is Spock and, and Seven interested? Oh, yeah, because it is an inherently mathematical concept. And tying it in that way makes it feel like a very a satisfying science fiction story, not just a personal yes. story, which is, like, yeah. important. Like, these feel not just character pieces, but taken on their own they are science fiction pieces about relating to an alien culture and like again that is something that is missing from discovery and picard where it's much more about personal drama which is a different tone a different style mm. but here it feels a lot more self-contained like you could show if you wanted to show someone and teach them about music and stuff like that you could potentially take clips from this episode and be like this is how you you, know, yeah. you do it it's like it, it well, makes this sense is, you know on one of the uh, i think of voyager one or two you have uh, a record to decide with the you know the mathematical formula to work out everything to understand our culture on the record so it has to you know you mm. hope you're in a kind of civilization that's worked out the same things that we have the one thing that kind of takes me out of it a little bit was the obvious sort of Chekhov's phaser which was uhura humming during the dinner scene <laughs> and then it always it comes straight back around to like oh wait there we go there's the hook this is why she was humming that was my kind of okay that's the maybe obvious tv trope set up and payoff don't mind i can i can forgive it a little bit but that's a bit of like oh i bet this is going to mean something later but um yeah <laughs> i think that's one of those things of we have to get our story across in a mm. 50 55 minute span we have to make some certain narrative shortcuts like yeah. if this were a 26 episode season like say like a, a classic strike star trek you could maybe see this idea of her humming while she's stressed in yeah. in but a more again, yeah. say naturalistic way but like we don't have time we gotta we gotta get the story done in 50 minutes counterpoint i actually yeah. really loved battlestar galactica season three and used Jimi hendrix as all along the watchtower as part of the hook for that for a big opening a big scene in that so maybe i can't complain <laughs> but um maybe you're spoiled maybe i'm spoiled <laughs> but i think i do need to edit that scene where pike's like computer what is this music is like it is the root sandstorm <laughs> like, it could have been anything an ancient hymn from kenya why is it never i think you came up with stars pre-show why is it never like rick astley's never going to give you up like <laughs> yeah. did it just rick roll us <laughs> it is sabotage by the beastie boys oh god yeah, <laughs> oh, that's the music, yeah. <laughs> that's the third time. <laughs> um so i i actually this is something that i actually think um this has in common with discovery and i really appreciate it um we are going back to these time periods that are you know pre-tng that are post enterprise and rather than you know taking enterprises somewhat murky reception they are just running with it enterprise is part of the continuity it is considered as mm. beloved and the characters are just as sacrosanct as picard or, or archer or kirk it's like and it feels like they're not just doing that with you know respecting like you know the uss archer in episode one or referring to archer as one of the most recept um, respected captains in all starfleet history it's a case of pike's dinners feel like a evolved version of archer's dinners in enterprise mm. but done a bit more sort of less stiffly because pike is less stiff than archer yeah, he's, um, he's better at being a dad offering, he's not brought the vulcan to bridge and offering her a steak <laughs> <laughs> but no it is nice to have those human but, moments but see, could, could you mm. could you 
but if Anson Mount offered to Paul a steak just through sheer charisma, <laughs> I think she would have taken it. Just because <laughs> she that, just looked at the hair and it, gone, actually, yeah. you know what? That sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> he, he can sell water to a fish. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> what kind of water is it? Is it oxygenated or <laughs> only the finest? You know what? I, <laughs> I, I think that is just a case of like, we, we, like, Anson Mount is arguably the linchpin on which put all this works. And that's because the instant he appeared on Discovery, he had such an instant impact on people. And it's because Definitely. he's such a charismatic force. It's like, that is ultimately what ties all the captains together and ma makes them feel it's such a natural fit. It's like they have that natural charisma, like Janeway, hmm. Cisco, Kirk, uh, but Archer less so. I feel like Archer doesn't have that charisma. That's part of the reason why he's like considered to be like, your mileage may vary. I know our good friend Automaton quite like appreciates him for that. But Pike has that instant charisma when he doesn't just make you feel welcome. He makes you feel, he elevates you onto his level yeah. and like you can participate on his on his level and you don't feel like an idiot for throwing things out and you kind of get that with his um scene where his away team is trapped on the comet and it's like well we got the shepherds there give me an idea and then mm. ortegas feels comfortable enough to just go phase yeah. the harmonics and just throws yeah. it out there and it just they run with it again this it's is, that thing of know, competent this, professionals yeah. working together i love this is an established crew with the exception of uhura and la'an because i think la'an's a new she's a new commission isn't she she's sort of she is, yeah. the ship but i think everyone oh and chapel but everyone else is pretty much established as being on the ship for a few years now, aside from what we saw in Discovery Season 2. Um, I just have kind of assumed they were there. But everyone's sort of been on the ship. I wonder if they will at some point do a flashback at some point where Pike maybe first comes on the ship or first introduces his crew. Maybe we'll sort of start seeing those first intro. I kind of hope they don't. But because yeah, in the kind of same that. TNG way, they didn't they do that to the last episode. But I like that they're already this well-oiled machine. It kind of gets rid of all the kind of early drama all the unnecessary stuff and you just sort of you can focus on the science fiction story which is um well a kind of sorry one second uh just a a, yeah, yeah. a telltale telltale um sign of the original original series sort of premise which was dc fontana and all these science fiction writers producing scripts for this science fiction show that no one knew much about but they had to write compelling stories and it kind of feels a bit like that now sorry go on yeah well, it's it, it's like you didn't see, you didn't see people coming on the Enterprise in the the '60s TV series either. You didn't see the beginning of that, and and it's like you know how many times do you need to see Peter Parker getting bit by a spider? How many times do you need to see <laughs> yeah, Bruce Wayne's Marvel parents get that, shot? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like it just, at, at what is that adding to the story? And mm. I think that is kind of their overarching as much as you can say for two episodes worth of television that you've seen, it's like, that seems to be their guiding thing. And it's like, what adds to the story? And if mm. it doesn't add to the story, it's not in there. And yeah, so, and, and Th there's very little something... extraneous fluff in there. I think you'll cry out about yeah. that. Find, and I'm yeah. thinking that's like, what would, what would justify that? Cause I would be kind of interested in seeing, and I'm thinking if we got a tapestry style episode with Pike, where it's like, we got, I mean, that would be a way to yeah. justify it. This kind of whole That'd be interesting. This whole future arc is kind of that a little bit, obviously without the mm. megalomaniac um, Q entity, but um, it's kind of him looking <laughs> at his future and wondering what he can do. And things they kind of do in this episode and the last one as well is they they are addressing it more than they thought they would with sort of number one. You know, I I, I quite like number one and Pike's chat uh, chats. They still haven't quite given an, a lot to do for number one for Una, although mm. she is sort of being sort of his counselor and giving a bit of feedback to sort of what he's talking about but 
I wonder what they're going to pay off with this arc towards the menagerie. Like, what are they going to do? Because they have to... I, I think they've got a plan for something. Otherwise, why bring it up? I almost wonder if it's going to build to a point of... Um, because the, the, the setup in Discovery was you lock in this fate, you, you have chosen this because mm. this is what you need to save the universe, essentially. Um, and I almost wonder if it's going to be a case of he has to reaffirm that choice. If it's a case of, you know, you can you can break off from this path, you can live your life as you want to for the next you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, however long a, a human in this time period lives, but someone else takes your place. And then it becomes a case of would Pike do that? Would he inflict the fate that he is trying to avoid on someone else? <laughs> and it's like, well, that's the thing, isn't yeah. it? Because it's a, it's a reaffirmation of the character, and I'm wondering if that's what it's building towards or something else. Would they be bold enough to not ever get there? I mean, it's 10 years to away. So yeah. they can drag this out for as long as they like. But um, yeah, it, it, it's... Uh, uh, my, my point was are they are they bringing up for him to either resolve it in himself or are they actually going to do something with it that's, that's kind of what i'm wondering because the last we see of pike in canon is he wanders off with vena uh, in their keeper reconstructed forms into the undergrowth so there is potentially a future for pike in some way he's not entirely written out as the disabled monstrosity in the chair like there is there could be be some finagling done there yeah because well we we have we know that there is going to be some kinds of time jumping because we know that uh that jim kirk is coming hmm, in yes. some form uh it's like so what do we I wish and the really amount done. of <laughs> yeah, yeah i i don't i didn't i didn't need to know that i mean hmm. i'm still i'm I'm still hesitant and nervous about what that is going to mean, especially now that these first two episodes have been so good. It's like, don't, don't succumb to that kind of, uh, you know, just sticking names that we know in things because this, you've already proven that you don't really need it mm. as much as you seem to think you do. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I would be, Obviously, that's going to be the overriding theme of if, of anything that's going to carry over in a serialization kind of context that what is Pike's fate and what can he do about it uh, is, is going to be the, the sort of Damocles hanging over him the entire way this is going to run. And, you know, that is an interesting idea that you bring up. It's like, do they go ahead and jump ahead till after that choice has already been made and maybe they find some way to bring him back in some capacity that would be another interesting thought too so i don't I, know. I do find it an interesting way to tackle the because this is something that comes up um later on in the episode when spark has to do a shuttle flight right um and he does the big dangerous thing and it's all very beautifully animated like the 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 vfx for the um mm. the the starship stuff in this is the best it's ever been like i love the uh the discovery in the Enterprise versus the Section Thirty One fleet at the end of uh, cool. season two. Mm -hmm. I thought that was some one of my favorite Star Trek ship battles. But 
this like the Ortegas like evasive maneuver like uh, the the sheer beauty of that is going to stick with me for a while but then you get the shuttle flight and it's like oh will Spock survive and it's like <laughs> yeah of course he will. I wonder yeah that I was wonder. needless drama <laughs> that, that was another niggle it's just like yeah that was like where are you Spock's like yeah of course we know where he is <laughs> like on. my but... nine-year-old my nine-year-old yeah. son watching this episode was like well, I know he's going to be fine because he's going to be on Kirk's Enterprise later on. It's like, yeah, you're right. Mm, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hope they keep that kind of stuff to a minimum. Because Well, because here's the thing. Now you have a bit of a meta-narrative where this is a prequel where we know that certain characters can't die, and yet they are outright teasing us with, well, what if Pike changes his fate? We, we have a character mm, who knows to a degree that he is part of a meta-narrative where he can't die until a certain point. And yeah. he's playing with that. He's teasing on it. He's wondering, what can I do? To... And it's like it's an interesting little meta-narrative of making you feel... Maybe it's just an illusion. Maybe it's just the illusion of, of <laughs> malleability. <laughs> but, Hang on, we're getting very Matrix here. <laughs> Mr. Anderson. <laughs> but sometimes that can be enough. Sometimes just the illusion of choice, of malleability, of the potential for things to change is enough to get you invested and think that it might happen. And I'm wondering if that's what they're playing with with Pike and making his fate and the seeming inevitability of it part of the crux. It's like, well, this is a prequel, but we have to introduce the state somehow. So, what if we bring up the idea that maybe not everything is set in stone? Have you ever played? I a game buy called... it more than I ever. Have you ever played a game oh. called The Stanley Parable? No, I haven't. Yeah. Um, it's pretty much that exact topic, but yeah, get a chance to play that. It's very much like your choice. Yeah. It's all about choices. But anyway, sorry, carry on. So then Pike yeah, but... just uh, looks looks across the bridge. It's like. Mr. Spock, how did you turn into Zachary Quinto all of a sudden? <laughs> oh God, don't even! <laughs> and now we're into um, strange multiverse of madness. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but it does almost make me wonder. It's like, um, if oh, uh, will they oh, be bold enough? It's to got Bacula. He's here. He's he's suddenly he's leapt into this quantum dimension. Ziggy, <laughs> where are you? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Gushy. <laughs> but it does all I, I I buy it more than I ever bought the the temporal cold war in Enterprise. I never bought yes. that, that was going to change anything. But here I'm yeah. like Pike's fate is such a indelibly it's indelibly part of Star Trek, right? It's such yes. a part of the history from almost but the very beginning. It's small enough that if you changed it, what would actually change? And it's like there's just enough leeway that they're making me question it. Just enough. Yeah. Um but I'm interested to see what they go with it. Okay. Um... Maybe it's all navel gazing. Who knows? Um, let's talk about the real. <laughs> let's talk about the real shit, which is I want Sam Kirk to nearly die in every episode of this season. <laughs> oh my god! You killed Kirk. <laughs> you bastards! <laughs> I want him to get beaten up. I want him to get shot. I want him to wow. get hit with plagues. I want him to have transporter and shuttle accidents. I want every possible misfortune <laughs> to fall upon that mustache man. So now I it's just, now I it's a it. Sam Kirk must suffer. That's yeah. <laughs> Because it's like he, can't, he can't die. He he is got again. That's another death that's locked in. So he can he can take as think... many hits for the team and touch as many stupid alien eggs as he likes. Do you think was it Operation Annihilate where we see his yeah. him dead? Yeah. Uh, wait, do you, do you think that Spock looked down on his body in Operation Annihilate and went, 
damn, I didn't bring my medical tricorder. I can't just defib him. <laughs> Not again. I've seen this somewhere before, I'm sure. <laughs> he probably looked at it and was like, oh, that dumb motherfucker, his, tuck, his ticket finally got punched, I guess. <laughs> it took about yeah, enough times. I, I really love the moment where Pike sort of like, he's doing the briefing and then it's almost like as if he hasn't been listening. Is like, are you sure about the moustache? <laughs> it's just like it's almost just like he's like I really don't care about this. Like that 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 on your face there. That's that's the real mission priority. <laughs> I don't know. The moustache is working for me. I think it's a it's a fun little thing. It's a nice little affectation, and the uh, the confidence that he's got about it is very Kirk. Like he's not self conscious yeah. about it, which is a very like you can see enough commonality that I'm like, yeah, I buy that. I buy that. That's Jim Kirk's brother, and it makes it feel a little bit more human. Because, like, Jim Kirk is, like, you know, I, I have my problems with the character and with the, the actor portraying him, like, the original actor as it is. But when you give me his brother and you make him a dork and you give him a silly <laughs> moustache and he touches alien eggs and gets nearly killed, I'm like, this makes it all feel a bit more human. And I'm like, you know what? I kind of dig the idea of seeing Jim on screen just so I can see Spock go, not another one. <laughs> not another one. Oh. I did like his moments you know? with Uhura, though. He did have a kind of mm. almost rapport when they first beamed down. He went to check on her and he's like, yeah. you know, first time and all this. And he goes, no, I've been in EV suits lots of times. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, another airplane joke. Um... <laughs> Starfleet man, what's that? Oh, it's a big place for a lot of people, but that's not, that's not important right now. <laughs> it's just Pike comes over the comments like, just to let you know, we're all counting on you. <laughs> And then he goes on call again and goes, just to let you know, we're all counting on you. <laughs> um, yeah, so not much more to cover. Uh, the, the shepherds, the shepherd dilemma was an interesting take. I liked Pike's humility to kind of let them kind of go, okay, you won. You know, just sort of kind of yeah. go, okay, you, you, you're not wrong. You're also wrong, but I'm going to be the bigger man in here and not and let you have that victory. <laughs> Well, and the thing that differentiates this from other times that they've gone to that is that's always done in deference to someone that you are inherently superior to. It's like mm. that's letting the, you know, the the natives win or, you know, it's like and this is doing it to a established and uh, verified superior opponent. Mm. But it just it's, you know, it's just kind of an inversion of that trope, which I really appreciated. I like it was a new species. It wasn't just like the Cardassian showing up or the Bajoran, or not the Bajorans, but like, you know, someone someone else showing up and like, oh, I know them. It's just like, nope, this is a new species that we've never heard from before, but we'll probably be Federation members by the time we're in the 24th century because everyone else fucking was. Why not? Um, but yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah, I liked, I liked, I thought they were a bit too CG. Like you go for the view screen, this is like, yeah, this is, this is the headshot, but it's fine. The voice actor that did it, we're, like we were rewatching it, and I was puzzling. I've heard that voice actor somewhere before. He's a very—I don't think we traced him up, but like that was a very recognizable and good voice for a antagonistic species over a view screen. He was very authoritarian, almost Clancy Brown. I thought that I thought that was close to saying that's Clancy Brown. <laughs> yeah, well, who he reminded me of is, he, uh, and I can't remember the actor's name, but it's the, one of the replicants from Blade Runner, like the original Blade oh, okay, Runner, yeah, like yeah. The, the guy that. They did the first Voight comp test too. Yes, uh, yes, the turtle that, thing. Yeah, that that actor and I can't remember who it is, but he mm. just had very uh, strong shades of that to me, and I, I really appreciated what he did. And I, what did you guys think of the resolution of the the plot in that 
you know, when Ohura figures out that the comet has predestined this whole yeah. thing was going to happen this way. If I, I half of me was just like, maybe this is one step in the story too far. They could have kind of ended it with like, okay, we fixed it, and you guys were right, but we're gonna let you be right and let you move on. But we actually solved the problem because we were Starfleet too. Yeah, there was a little bit of an, a mystery there that they left open ended, which I quite like. That there's you know there's this culture that you know put their structure on an asteroid to you know predetermine courses through through the galaxy to seed life which is kind of a cool thing but i wonder if it was a bit too little too late in the story maybe a little bit well it's with, with star trek you have such like, like leeway with like time travel and incredibly compli complicated and ahead of the the technological curve aliens like the q or the metrions or the organians where it's like yeah, they could probably put a comet into space and have it do this, and they, yeah, they'll probably oh no, know yeah. because not, not disputing the tech or but exactly. I, I, I like that the they they, they led the teaser saying, "Here's the fr fracture of the ice that Spock broke off, and here's the readings hmm. we got like hours before he he'd done that." That that was kind of a cool edge. I just wonder if a sort of uh, I, I don't know it was one one little one little bit one little step too far perhaps in story. Not that I'm disagree. You know, I think that's probably that takes it from a ten to a nine for me maybe. Yeah, well, because I mean, the the reason, the plot reason that they did, well, mm. not the plot reason, but the the theme reason that they did that was to put that back to Pike. It's like, mm. okay, you suppose, are yeah. you are a pre, you have predestination now. It's like you know what's going to happen in the future, and mm, this doesn't necessarily mean that you know why or if or you know you know your future, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's all set in stone. It's like, I just wonder if that was the way to do that. If mm. uh, that resolving that plot that way was the best way to reinforce that theme to Pike. Because it's like, you didn't necessarily need to tie those two threads together to have most of the same mm. effect. So yeah, I, I, I agree that it's just maybe taking thing, being just too cute by a half. Mm. In but how you've done this, I am quite happy for them to do that and then leave it and then never refer to it again because we have we've had a lot yeah. of like things coming back in in various shows and things like being like, if they're going to stick to this being this is episodic with this you know the small serial line we're seeing here is Pike's trauma and also I think we're probably going to see some more stuff with Laan come through as well. Um, but yeah, what about you? What about you, Stars? Um. I, I didn't really find it too egregious. Um, I do think you are probably right that it was a little bit too cute, that it could have very easily been tied off and then you could have come back to Pike and number one having that conversation without it. That being said, I don't um, dislike it just because even without that concession to the theming of the episode, it is a very Star Trek thing to admit that there are more things in heaven and earth that are dreamt of in your philosophy that there are alien forces out there that you can't comprehend that that to to any like uh, insufficiently advanced alien race it looks like magic yeah. or it looks like precognition when it's actually just incredibly complicated mathematics or whatever it's like i i feel like it adds enough mystery that you're like that's really weird how did that happen and it it more hints at the majesty and uniqueness and the strangeness of the universe rather than necessarily making it small that being said, I can definitely see why it's a case of it does tie up a little bit too neatly. You could have done without it, but I don't hate it. Yeah. This is a case of I can definitely see why it would niggle like, at the back of the head, though. Okay, F final, final, uh, final point, um, which we haven't spoken about too much before. But this was a bit more Ortigas. 
uh, how do we feel about yes. her character? Because this is the kind of the first time we've really interacted with her character outside a couple of lines in the original in in the pilot episode. Oh, she, she real good. <laughs> 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 no, uh, uh, I, I think she more than anyone else uh, kind of conveys the excitement of just being in space on a starship and just it but at the same time being very competent so most of the time when someone is being like you know excited to be where they are and what they're doing it translates as not being that great and being kind of clumsy because you're so caught up in the excitement of it but she is both fun and excited and also really competent so I think that makes for a good and unique character that kind of fits a unique spot in the litany of Star Wars, uh, Star Star Trek characters. Oh man, man! If I was drinking today, I'd have to take a shot now. No, so. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, no, I, I think that's uh, an interesting way because it is a case of we've had what like. 10 different star trek series now and we've had various different pilots of various we've had you know sulu we've had like tom paris is the big one we've had like jedzia dax we've had uh various different con officers and tng we've had mayweather we've had you know all these various different characters they're all different takes on the same and a uh, detmer and discovery for example and they're all variations on the pilot theme and like pilot kind of has its own connotations and i like how especially Detmer and uh, Ortegas come at it, where it's like these are high performers, where they feel like they have to perform at a razor's edge. And they come at it from different ways. Like, Detmer is very highly strung, and like she feels like she has this performance anxiety, whereas Ortegas is a bit more relaxed in her skin, but she's got that nervous energy. Like, she's, like, ready to show the world what she's got. Ortega strikes me as the kind of like uh, character who will make captain in like ten years, who will like mm. jump ranks really quickly because she feels like a high achiever, and I want to see a lot more of her. Like what I saw of her, like yeah. you said, intensely comp uh, intensely competent, but fun. Like the way she interacted with Uhura, trying to haze her, but also put her at ease and just kind of like relate to her as a superior officer. I think she's like a lieutenant, like you know, relating to a cadet. She didn't talk down to her. She's just right. like a very open individual. And especially because, like, I'm also a little bit um, biased because in one of the previews I saw her doing some, like, um, some fencing. There's a little bit of Sulu in there as well, which I always appreciate. <laughs> That's a nice little nod. But she also just seems like a bit of a swashbuckler. She seems like, kind of like Chapel, she seems very happy to be here. She wants to <laughs> go out and see Strange New World. She wants to experience it. And that's just a fun character. It makes her different from Tom Paris, where even though they are kind of established beyond the same competency level, where, like, you know, it's like, but Tom Paris was the first like pilot where it was like drawn attention to how good he was. You know, it's like, oh, I can do this cool little maneuver, and it's like, you know, we'll show, we'll show Voyager doing these cool maneuvers because Tom Paris is just that good. <laughs> and then Ortegas gets time. that. They weren't designed to do that maneuver. I can make them do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's like Ortegas is like that, but it doesn't feel like a retread just female. She feels distinct yeah. from him in an interesting way, and I like, I want more of her. I want more of all the cast, but especially Ortegas because. I feel like it is part of the problem with this cast is that like a lot of these characters, while relatively unknown, because they've they've taken mostly characters we know nothing about, mostly, um, with the exception of like Spock. It's like Ortegas and Hema are the characters who are actually just fresh, cum cloth. Yeah. We know nothing, and that means I want to know the most about them. We've got the most about them we've gotten so far in this episode, and I want more. Yeah, I want more of that. 
Cool. Okay, final ratings uh, out of 10, guys. What would you give this episode? I I mean, I would probably give it... Uh, can we do half points? I don't... I wasn't oh, we're getting into half points. I don't allow half yeah, points. points. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, because I want... I don't want to to blow things right out of the gate because hmm. I, I want to have the optimism that things can get better from here. Yeah. So I want to, I want to give this an eight and a half okay. out of 10 for me. Uh, well, and what really encourages me is like you say, episode two, we're just well into a tightly told, very concise, but exciting self-contained story. Uh, and that is all that I wanted out of this series, and it's delivering that. So I, I would say eight and a half out of ten for me. I'd say probably a nine. Uh, I would say this is nine Ortegas evasive pattern gammas <laughs> out of ten. Um, I, I really liked it. I think that um, maybe there was a little bit too much saccharineness. Like I feel this is a I, I felt this uh, criticism lab labeled at um, Discovery. I don't I don't feel that as much, but specifically the scene where it was um, her uh, like um, vocalizing and the, the, the rotating. I felt that was a little bit much, a little bit, hmm. um, but not enough that I feel like it significantly impaired the episode. It's just it kind of it just drew attention to itself. I mean, calling it a nine like, out of ten, we are we are niggling at little things here at this point. Like, this, this is what. Yeah. Well, Most I've... like second episodes of Star Trek are lucky to be a four out of ten. Yeah. They're usually really <laughs> poor. So like this is a really strong start to see, and it's like these characters are all. I want to know more about all of them. Mm. There is no one who I look at and I'm like, you're dead weight. Yeah. Well, and it's 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 interesting to to think about. Uh, you know, you're talking about having your characters sing, and they didn't necessarily want to sing. It's hard to see that and not think of stuff like Move Along Home, where they did the exact same thing. <laughs> and it's another first season Trek moment. Oh, and it's gosh. like this would we're giving eights and nines out of ten, whereas, you know, something like that, that's like, you know, two or three or something like that. So that's just the difference. Oh, I think Move Along Home gets a so. bad rap. Everyone always remembers <laughs> the dance. They never remember oh, the good Pork and Odo moments. Um, yeah, that's, I have to that's give another it, episode. Yeah, I have to. I have to give it a nine as well. I think my 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 only down points are possibly the why they put Spock in peril for a you know a kind of cliche moment when they didn't need to because he's he's not going to be in peril and maybe just an extra ending too much, but you know just a bit bit too much story. But again, like this is a stunning episode. It's absolutely fantastic. Like, and it also like this is one other thing I want to pick on, which is that like. Part, I think part of the reason why this feels like it has such a good flow and why it feels like we're already with this crew is I feel like it's underrated that when Star Trek came back in 2017 with Discovery, that wasn't really a continuous line from Enterprise. That was like a lot of broken, jagged lines and movies and false starts. And I almost wonder, if, like, did it take us five years to really get into the groove where like, now the shows, all of them, like Picard season three well, is up in the ground. We don't know what it's going to be like, but is uh, are the shows starting to find their different identities and starting to really come mm, into the uh, their own? Definitely. Are they all starting to grow their beard? Is this one coming <laughs> into the world with its beard already fully formed? I think is it's that not what necessarily it is? 
growing the beard but i think it's a sense that the studio is trying to assert that what do they want each series to do which demographics do they Mm. want them to like discovery appeals to this group lower decks appeals to these people prodigy to these kids and people like me and (laughs) and um you know strangely well like they are spreading star trek out not thin they're, they're keeping everything they're putting their full weight into everything like this is these are not just like we're gonna make like do the cw where they're gonna produce 15 different series in the arrowverse and just make them mostly people talking and about maybe one effect shot no they're putting everything into it but they are spreading themselves no, out what you're saying is nothing is the batwoman redheaded stepchild of the franchise uh, yeah, they all feel yeah, like people not. are putting their effort into it which yeah. is such a shame because i love batwoman the character and then yeah. any, anyway uh, let's say that about that the better we're talking about star trek now but yeah no great episode um Thank you both for joining more. me. More! 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 Can't wait till next week. I'm genuinely like excited. <laughs> um, yes, we'll be back uh, next time where we'll be reviewing the next episode, which is called something I haven't actually looked up yet, but I've not watched the preview, so I'm excited. Have you That's guys watched the previews? Are you excited for it? I am excited because it is another cla- a classic tre- trope, and I am interested to see more stuff about Una, who appears Ooh. to be the focus on this episode. So. I've not seen a thing, so I'm going to go into it blind. Nice. Blind like Hammer. Hope we get more Hammer. Anyway, uh, guys, we'll see you next time. Thank you all for watching. Ta-ra.